you've found the Rock Hesperia and are on your way to building a solid life. We make disciples here. If you, your children, or anyone comes to Jesus, hears his sayings, and does them, your life will become solid. So let's get to it. And as we're in this, the last message in this series, A Spiritual House, this message is called, We Are Family. Turn to two places in your Bible, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Ephesians 4. 2 Timothy 4 and Ephesians chapter 4. And before we get to Ephesians 4, I want to give you a glimpse of my heart today. Look at Psalm 69 verses 8 and 9. They say, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for God's house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. That is exactly how I'm feeling today, church family. I'm feeling so zealous about this whole thing. Pastor Caleb would say, you know, it takes enthusiasm to convince somebody else. And the end of enthusiasm is I-A-S-M. And he said, it's I am sold myself. I am sold on this concept. I am sold on these truths from the word of God. And I'm excited to bring them to you because this is exciting. So, zeal for God's house has indeed eaten me up, and whatever disagreements I may have had earlier in my life have all vanished. They've all gone away, because I'm convinced that aligning ourselves with these deep truths are beneficial, but they're also costly. So don't let me fool you. I'm not trying to pull the rug out from under you, the old bait and switch. No, they're beneficial, but they're also costly. It will cost us something to be and become God's family the way he's intended. And it may bring reproach even on us, like the reproach that is brought on God all the time. People do not understand this. You know, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, the Bible says, and we are a spiritual people. We are being built a spiritual house. Those who aren't interested in the whole truth (laughs) need not listen any further. But I'm telling you, I know why you've come today. You've come for the truth of God. And so someone say, we're interested. Amen. We are interested. God has gripped my heart for building his house the way he wants it. And that's the reason we've spent all this time in this series, A Spiritual House, to be built up that way. Because I want God's best for all of us, for you, for me, and for us together. That's the whole gig. I can't do this alone. Neither can you. We need each other. God has always intended for us to get all the all the promises, the promised land together, and here's how we do it. I'm going to always, always tell you the truth of exactly what it's going to take for us to get there. Amen. I want this research to grip your heart, so would you allow it? Would you open up your mind, open up your heart to hear something fresh from the Lord this morning? If you want to remain fulfilled and built up throughout your life, if you want your children to become resilient disciples, oh, that's the pinnacle, isn't it? Disciplined followers of Jesus forever who are resilient, who when the world knocks them down, they reach to the Lord and he picks them back up and they're back on the straight and narrow path. If that's what you want for your children, keep listening because we could have casual Christians at best otherwise, and at worst, we could have ex-Christians and we don't want any of that. Somebody say amen. Not for my family. Come on, claim it right now. Not for my family. These living stones will be built up a spiritual house. Amen. 
The Barna Research Group has conducted these studies and discovered that resilient disciples are made of people who exhibit the following. They know the church is a place where they feel they belong. They have someone in their life who encourages them to grow spiritually. They're connected to a community of Christians. They had close personal friends who were adults from their church as they were growing up. They admire the faith of their parents. They feel emotionally close to someone at their church. Let's decide to allow God's word to build us into this kind of spiritual house that he intends. Come on, would you get a pad of paper or your notes on your phone and decide to take some notes, maybe highlight some passages, maybe in the Bible, maybe in your Bible app. But let's get this word deep into our hearts today. Will you do it? Look at 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says this, coming to him as to a living stone, coming to Jesus himself as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16. Let's read those. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles. This is Jesus talking and the the gifts of Jesus here. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I know that was a mouthful, and I want to break it down for you, but it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Till we all, that means if someone is not coming to that unity and the knowledge, then we're not doing it best. We're still lacking in some area, and so we still have work to do. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what we're striving for, what we're endeavoring to do. As Jesus has given people who live and and exist in these offices of ministry, like pastors and teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, All of us doing that kind of work are to equip you for the work of ministry. Equip you, get the tools in your hands, get the word of God in your heart and out of your mouth so that you can minister effectively to people. It says we should no longer be children, children in understanding, right? It says in malice be babes, right? And of course, we know that spiritual parents and spiritual children is another thing, but we should no longer be children susceptible to the the latest itching ears, tickling ears kind of thing. 
a word that makes you feel really good, but really doesn't really have a lot of basis in the Bible. You know, they maybe have just tried to pull one out and, and convinced you that, oh, this is the way it is. Instead of how we do it at The Rock, where we take a bunch of scripture and it all says the same thing, scripture interpreting scripture. We're rightly dividing the word of God, showing ourselves approved. And it also says to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, that causes us to grow up. And so we don't remain children who are susceptible to being deceived. Amen. It also says that the whole body, all of us, you know, none of us are just, it reminds me of that movie. It's like, no, you are all individuals. And they're like, yes, we are all individuals. And it's like, no, you're not getting it. No, it's like the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You know, I'm not sure what joint you feel like you may be, you know, if you're an elbow or a knee or, or whatever joint you feel like you are, but every joint around here is meant to be supplying, meant to be contributing their unique and precious gift to the whole body because we're joined and being knit together. Have you ever seen someone knitting? It's like, I don't have any idea how that works, but it feels so intricate to me. And you can't make a mistake or this like sock or scarf or hat is going to work wrong. You know, it's going to be all wonky. We're not being built that way. The Lord says, you're living stones and I've put you together here in this family and you all fit perfectly if you'll just fit in your spot. Play your part, do your thing and become equipped as you learn the word of God. Amen. And then it says the effective working. I mean, I have more to read there, but let me just say this. The effective working. Have you ever gotten done from a job well done? You're like, that was some effective working right there. You may not have said those words, but you know, it's true. You feel good after a job well done. It worked. What I did, what I put my hands to today prospered, as the word of God says. The effective working by which every part does its share. Do you hear it again? God is repeating himself almost and painting a picture for us so that we don't miss it. Whenever he repeats something in scripture, he's like, pay attention to this. I'm trying to give you uh, a rule. I'm trying to give you a principle here that's going to help you. Pay attention. It says the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body. That's what we want. We want Christians everywhere. Why? Because Jesus wants Christians everywhere. He wants as many people to make it to heaven with him where he's been been gone and preparing a place for all of us that as many of us will choose him that he can receive us to himself in that glorious day when we go and be with the Lord. But he says, I want as many Christians as possible. Now you go get them and I'll give you my Holy Spirit to draw them in. In fact, you're a spiritual house because you're a spiritual being now. It says it causes growth of the body. Why? So that so many Christians are built up into the spiritual house, ready to meet Jesus because we've lived as his people. Not just said a prayer and not even just had a story, a good story to tell about a nice man named Jesus a long time ago. No, we have power to demonstrate on this earth. We have authority. We're calling things that aren't currently as though they are and walking them out by faith and believing these things until your loved one is healed, until you get that promotion or that provision from the Lord, until you see these miracles happen at your hands and by your words. We're a spiritual house. We're supposed to edify or build ourselves up in love. That's what this passage says. And so how does the family of God exist, grow, 
and thrive. I mean, because these are critical components of thriving, existing, first of all. Uh, I like that passage of scripture. It says, those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's one of my favorites. And so how does the family of God exist, grow, and thrive subsequently? In April 2019, and you can revisit this series, I preached a, a series called The Gifts of Jesus, where the apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers have been given this task to do to equip you for the work of ministry. See, this instruction, this equipping is happening real time right this moment as I'm speaking the word of God to you. You know, the scripture is going into your ears and it's getting down into your heart and it's kicking around in there and it's building you up and it's making you believe and and causing faith to grow and to rise in you. Isn't this exciting? This is what happens with the word. And we all see the benefits following the instruction and your follow through when you're walking in obedience. We all see it. But all of us, now listen to me closely on this, even though I teach you and I shepherd you as your pastor, all of us, including me, have to live this out. I got to live as a Christian right alongside you. Now, I may have an anointing to preach it to you, but I don't have some special anointing to live it. Uh, any better or easier than you do. I got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, just like everybody else. We're all in this together. Someone say that. We're all in this together. That's right. So notice the assumption in this passage as we've read it so far. You'll, You'll hear it when I say it, but notice the assumption. It isn't said, but the only way this is accomplished is by doing it. Doing what? Look, in order for us to be built up and edified and to keep growing this body of Christ, the whole body joined, knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, you hear all this language again, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Make no mistake, there is no other way for you to be built up You know, the Lord is saying, I have these ways and whatever I'm telling you to do in here, do it and you will build yourself up. It's not magic out there somewhere that you're just waiting. It's like, well, I'm just praying and the Lord's going to build me up one day. You know, (laughs) no, like there are specific ways that he's going to do it. And part of this is by us doing what he just said in this passage in Ephesians. And so it's every part doing its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Again, not just individual growth, but corporate growth, organizational growth, us all together kind of growth. And so I would say this, there are at least three things definitely happening in this passage, and I want to go through them with you. First with the easy ones. Can we start easy and work our way up? Let's do it. Number one, on the individual level, till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of Jesus. Till we all, one by one, you know, if there's some holdouts among us, it's like, I will not be convinced whatever you say. Well, that's going to be a problem. You know, they're proving that they're not interested in what we're doing here. We're talking about the Bible, the uncompromised teaching of the Word of God. That's our mandate. That's, that's how we roll around here. And if someone won't be convinced, then that individual will not be able to really fully participate in what we have going on here. But on the individual level, we all have the option to say, yes, Lord, I, I'm latching on to what you're saying by faith, and it's going to benefit my life. Number two, global. So individual and global. You can all understand this. For the equipping of the saints. It doesn't say the saints in Hesperia. It doesn't say the saints in the high desert. It just says the saints. 
Wherever there's a saint, it's meant to equip, to be equipped by that fivefold ministry that we talked about earlier. For the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. Make no mistake. In fact, I was on a phone call earlier this week and I said, Oh no, I've been working. And it's, it is work, but it's joyful work. When you let it be joyful, it's so joyful. The edifying of the body of Christ, that's what God wants. He wants us to be built up together. That's what we're talking about this. I mean, a spiritual house, you wouldn't say, I got all this lumber over there, and I got all this stucco prepared, and I've got all this cement, and I got some plumbing and some pipes, and I got some granite countertops, and I got some windows, and uh, I got a house here. Where is it? All I can see is a bunch of garbage, you know, I'm looking around. You got to put it together before it becomes a house. Other than that, it's just stones laying there. It's just building blocks, you know, tinker toys. And we have to decide to be built up this spiritual house. And so globally, some people call this the big C church, you know, church with a big C, right? The capital C. It's all of us together, not just our church, not just our town's churches, but everywhere. The saints, the church. Now for number three, the less easy one, and I hope you'll still go with me on this, local. Local. Uh, it It says, by which every part does its share causes growth. Every part does its share. So we've talked about the global church. It is all of us. Now, every part has to do its share. So individually, locally, as congregations, and, and, and even small congregations, small to large congregations, we all have a part. Amen. And we'll keep reading in a moment to further illustrate this necessity in the scripture. But it, said, it, it doesn't say anything here about people not working. In fact, elsewhere in the scripture, it says, you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> and I'm kind of partial to that one myself. You know, we say no lazy people around here. Come on, say it. No lazy people around here. Come on, say this. No sluggards. <laughs> OSL graduates, you're like, yeah, no sluggards around here. We're talking about what God commands, not just, you know, flippantly suggests to us, oh, you know what would be nice if you did is allow yourself to be built up, spiritual stones into a spiritual house. No, God says, do this and I can bless you. He wants to bless us. This is all linked to the way that God will build his church. We must be satisfied, yea, even joyful, to allow all of these three realities or or spaces to facilitate the building of God's house as individuals, as the global church, and as the local expression of the church. This is our church here. The church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the gathered ones or the assembled ones for Jesus, so to speak. And it's like when we gather together to be about the Lord's business, we're the church. I cannot be the church by myself, and neither can you. None of us were ever meant to. That's not what church is. Church is gathering. So gathering in homes, gathering in house churches, gathering in campuses, gathering at conferences, you know, all of it. This is the gathered church, and there are different expressions of that. Praise the Lord. So we're doing that, and we will continue doing it. It's a whole new day right now. we got this season in front of us, the greatest opportunity perhaps of our lifetimes. I'm not sure we've seen one like it since. If the Lord surprises us with another one, 
Lord help us because we're, <laughs> we're almost hanging on by a thread with this greatest opportunity. Isn't that right? Am I alone on this? Or are you like, yeah, Lord, don't surprise me with another greatest opportunity. Let me just do this one well. Amen. And so let's continue reading in verse 25. Can we do it? Verse 25 says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each, catch that word, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. (laughs) If you're wrathful, don't wait till tomorrow. Handle it today. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. See, I'm telling you, you don't work, you don't eat. It says, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but, this is what you should have let, let get out of your mouth, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. That building up, the edifice, right? Building this spiritual house. That it may impart grace to the hearers, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Now let me tell you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors now that I'm reading him. In fact, It's this guy right here. He wrote this book, Life Together. And not only did he write these books, but he taught the people of God. He taught the church. And what he did was he didn't even allow himself to stay in safety when he was alive. But during the the time of the Nazis and the Second World War, he put himself in grave danger going back to the places that the church needed strengthening. And he taught them there and eventually became martyred just basically moments before the the word came in that the war was ended. What a tragic loss. But we have his great writings, his great understanding of the Bible and that teaching that helps us even today. Let me read you some of his words. It says, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Now, Christians can live with each other in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one. But they can do so only through Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through Him are we bound together. This book is called Life Together. Only through Him are we bound together. It kind of sounds like that Ephesians passage that we're being joined and knit together. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we really do have one another. We have one another completely and for all eternity. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, and I'm sure you haven't because it's not in there, the first third church of Ephesus, you know, or the the second first church of Colossia, New Spring (laughs) Heights or whatever, right? We, We don't see any of that in the Bible. Why? Because at that time the church had not allowed such division yet. Oh, Lord, may we go back to those days and enjoy that kind of unity again. Amen. There is a way to get and to keep unity within the church and not splinter. Trust me, there is. Believe it or not. We must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. While we are growing, and we do grow, individually, globally, we must never dismiss 
the local expression of the church. Never ever. In our case, the local church is the rock here in the high desert, here in Hesperia. Even with house churches, microsites, Bible studies, and all the rest, those are all very valid expressions that can maintain unity. Absolutely, they can. In fact, in, in some of the agreements, some of you house church leaders would know this, that we kind of put you through the paces, right? It says, will you maintain unity within your group and between your group and the rock and the larger church? You know, at every phase, every stage of this, we have the opportunity to destroy it, but we're going to decide to keep the unity keep the unity through the bond of peace. All these valid expressions can maintain the unity and God will be allowed to fling us as far as he wants to into our communities here and win as many as possible to the kingdom. But we're each responsible for not disconnecting from one another within this spiritual family. We each have that responsibility and we've got to claim it for ourselves and say, no, I will not. Even if I'm walking through a hard thing right now with you, the Lord has us. He'll bring us through, and we have one another to help. And if it gets too tough, like we talked about in Matthew 18, bring someone else with you and say, come help me. Help me understand. Help me hear my brother. Help me hear my sister, because we need to get back in unity. Amen. I want to talk to you about what had happened on Paul's second missionary journey, predicated on what had happened at his first missionary journey. I'm sure you'll remember this if you read it because it's harrowing. You know, Paul gets in this discussion, so to speak, and uh, with Barnabas because there is a deterioration of relationship happening over this guy, John Mark, who deserted them, went back home while they were on this missionary journey together. And it's like, just stopped. I don't know, let's call it halfway through. I don't know exactly, but he stopped and he bounced and he's home. And Paul's like, never again. I'm not taking this kid anywhere. You know, he's got some problems and he he put his hand to the plow and he took it away. He's not fit for the kingdom service. And uh, Barnabas did not believe that. He didn't want to believe it. And so Paul and Barnabas had this contention that became so sharp. I'll read it to you in a minute that they parted ways. Now, everybody loses in a situation like this. So John Mark decides to quit the church. He's gone. He's going to go do his own thing back at home. Whatever he decided to do, we don't even know why he stopped, and we don't know what he did afterwards before he and Barnabas kind of got reconnected. They're family members and that. So everybody in this situation loses for a time, and it's, it's awful, and it looks awful. And while God, of course, because this is who he is in Romans 8, 28, even the commentaries mention this passage, God causes things to work together for good. But was it probably his first plan? I don't think so. I think he would have rather the unity was maintained the whole time instead of this fiasco. But just because God causes good to come out of stuff doesn't mean that we can just go and do whatever we want and say, ah, well, grace will abound. Let's go sin. All right. Paul says, certainly not. And so look at Acts 13, 13. Acts 13, 13. I went too far. I went to John, going backwards. Acts 13, 13. It says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, this is John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. All right, so this is what's happening. John Mark leaves the work right here in Acts 13, around verse 13, and then flip a couple chapters forward to Acts chapter 15. We're going to pick up the story and uh, just hold on to something. It's not pleasant. Starting in verse 30, going to verse 41, it says this, So when they were sent off, and notice, ministry leaders were sent 
by the church, all right? They were sent off. They came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered a letter that they were meant to read as a church that would encourage them. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. But look, it says that it seemed good to Silas to stick around here in Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas is like, yeah, that's pretty cool too. But then after a while, they're like, you know, let's go back around and see where we've been and and strengthen them up. See if there's anything that we need to just ah, make a little adjustment, make a little course correction as we spiritually parent these babies that are growing up. Amen. And so they have this plan and Barnabas seems to be okay with it. He's like, all right, that sounds like a good plan to me. Let's continue reading. In verse 37, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There's that work word again. And I kind of chuckle at this because I think it's funny that Barnabas is, is described as, you know, saying his name and that. And Paul is not described that way. He doesn't even say his name. He's like, you know, that guy that left us didn't go with us to the work. Paul has some feelings about this. He has some emotions about this, and rightly so. Look what the Bible goes on to say if you're wondering about this. It says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Are you kidding me? The contention, this discussion, really they're having an argument, kind of having a fight, you know. They both feel so strongly about this, and they're saying, Paul's saying no, and Barnabas saying, but yes, and Paul's saying absolutely not. This guy that deserted us, left us, put his hand to the plow and then stopped plowing, not fit for the kingdom work. Like, this is some heavy things. And so the contention becomes so sharp that they depart from one another. So Barnabas takes Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Huh? And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, now here's the deal. What we don't see is the church commending Barnabas and Mark. But what we do see is the church commending Paul and Silas. And so this absence is just curious to me and Bible commentators. You know, we, we can't answer it absolutely, but I think there's something to it being said that Paul and Silas were commended by the rest of the church, and there's no mention of that on the other side. So what am I saying? They go, they strengthen the churches, and they're commended by the grace of God, at least Paul's new crew with Silas. Mark takes off, leaves the ministry that he was invited to and entrusted with a portion of. I mean, this is a big deal. Paul didn't forget it. And uh, here we are. So when the next opportunity comes around for Mark to be, you know, hot to trot for ministry again, oh, here I am, ready to go, pastor. You know, Oh, welcome back, I suppose. You know, where have you been? You know? Uh, Paul's like, nope. Barnabas is like, yep. And it got so hot that they split up this ministry team. Barnabas takes Mark and hopefully schools him. That's that's my thought anyway. You know, the encourager Barnabas. He's like, ah, I'll take this kid. We can fix him. <laughs> we can train him up. And hopefully he schools him down the road. The brethren are in agreement with Paul, commending him 
And we just don't have any word, uh, any such word on Barnabas and Mark. Thankfully, we have good reason to believe that reconciliation between Paul and Mark happened. Whew, thank God, right? We love reconciliation around here. We're always ready for it. Amen. In Colossians 4.10, would you go there with me? Colossians 4.10. You're going to want to see this in your own Bible because like, this was so contentious, to use their word, that you want to see the resolution to this. Colossians 4.10 says, Aristarchus... My fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right, now, who's writing the book of Colossians? That's right, the Apostle Paul. And so here's what's happening. He says, you've received instructions. You receive Mark. And here's the thing, uh, like the rock Colossa, right? Just kidding. The church in Colossa was likely aware of this rift between these two guys. And they could have been suspicious or skeptical, you know, of kind of throwing out the red carpet for Mark, you know? Here's this deserter. But giving him such an abundant entrance to our church now, it's like, I don't know about this Mark guy. So Paul is saying, no, receive him. Paul supplies a comfort to this church, to them in this instruction to receive Mark. Now that Mark had shown some maturity and that Paul could vouch for him with integrity intact, thank God for God and thank God for Barnabas too, their partnership was apparently able to smack some sense into John Mark over time. And Mark seemed to have overcome whatever immaturity had caused him to depart from the work. But Paul had become aware of Mark's growth in this intervening time. And look, he asked for him at the end of his life. Remember when he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My time is at hand. And and so he's giving these final instructions. And I'll tell you this. I myself have had my own John Mark seasons, unfortunately. And uh, as always, I confess to you my failings so you know that we are all in the same boat. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with something that I'm not guilty of myself, you know? We are all guilty. And whether we've done this particular thing or just something else, you know, the Bible says if we've committed one sin, we're guilty of them all. And so this one I actually have done. You know, we were invited and entrusted with ministry responsibilities starting a new church down in Corona 20 years ago. And here I am, this young buck, and I think I could do just about anything, except I do nothing. I get assignments, and I don't come back with them done, or even started, or even having had thought about them during the intervening week. But since now, in our last meeting, I have totally been this John Mark. And then I leave and go away from the church. And not that that was the worst thing in the world. It was, uh, there was a whole bunch of circumstances surrounding that with work and location and, and housing and all that. But still, I leave having really not done a bunch. I showed up and played the piano. Okay, you know, like, fine. But ultimately, wasn't very useful. I consider myself in that situation a John Mark. Now, thankfully, no one has beaten me up like that, uh, except in jest. But um, I will tell you, my open heart enabled me to grow and mature in that area, and I've been able to come back and, and reconcile and, and even outline those things. I've felt like this, and I apologize for this. And there is reconciliation to be had. Amen. 
So don't you, if you're like me in any way that fail, you know, with some frequency, don't feel condemned for a minute. God's not condemning you. I'm not condemning you, surely. Like the Lord is so good. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if that's you, no condemnation. Whatever conviction you might be feeling, just handle it with the Holy Spirit. That's what these moments are for. Amen. Let it serve to remind and instruct you in this toward growth and health. Look, because of that pursuit, even the one I served poorly and left invited me back and entrusted me with ministry again and poured wisdom and equipping into me, which is why you hear from me all the time, Pastor Caleb this and Pastor Caleb that. He's the guy. Yeah, there is a way back for you. Let me say it again. There is a way back for you from wherever you may have strayed. So don't give it another thought. Just handle it with the Lord and then go handle it with maybe those who you left. Just fix it. It'll be reconciled and everyone will feel better. Listen to how this once miserable and disgraceful scene plays out. 2 Timothy 4 verses 9 through 17. Here's Paul writing to Timothy and he says this. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed for Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is here with me. And look what he says. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. <laughs> Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. What, what a far cry from when they were arguing in Acts 15 and saying, never again to look. Get Mark. Would you bring Mark? I've seen his growth. I've seen his maturity. He's useful to me for ministry. I love this reconciliation. Paul says, and Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. He says, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come out. It's freezing over here. And bring the books, especially the parchments. So often I think we get caught up in not risking looking bad that we neglect to disciple people. We neglect to tell them the truth. We neglect to bring them up and train them because we, we might look bad. And then we miss the whole mandate. We miss the whole commission of making disciples. Paul made no bones about this at all. And when Mark was spiritually ready, look, there was Paul, arms open wide, ready to receive him, ready to reconcile and say, I'll bring him. He's useful to me for ministry. I can see. I can see he's ready. Look, he has a welcome prepared, an invitation even, his own commendation now that we have for all time in the Bible. Mark gets his restoration, his reconciliation right there. Amen. But look at Paul's very next words regarding someone who compromised the work. Are you ready for this? Get ready. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Yikes. You, must, you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Listen to his heart. May it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them for forsaking me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. What a beautiful perspective from the Apostle Paul. Beautiful and helpful. I mean, this guy's no pushover. I mean, you're reading the same Bible I'm reading. He's no pushover. Seems like some great dichotomy here. And I always had read Paul as arrogant when I was coming up. Always, probably because of my own arrogance. But not anymore. I can now see clearly his apostle's heart, his shepherd's heart, and his appropriate operation in kingdom authority. 
we are a strange people, Christians. Let's act like it. Kenneth Birding of Biola University, my alma mater, says this in quoting an unknown Christian writing to an unbeliever named, let me get this right, Diognetus, Diognetus, regarding the look and the role of a Christian, how we operate. He says this, Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of humanity by country or language or custom. They do not live in cities of their own. They do not speak a strange dialect. They do not practice an odd way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been discovered through the thinking and reflection of inquisitive people, nor do they promote any human doctrine like some people do. Although they live in Greek and non-Greek cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow local customs in dress and diet and the rest of daily life, they also exhibit the remarkable and admittedly peculiar nature of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but still as foreigners. They participate as citizens in everything but endure everything as strangers. Every foreign land is their home country, and every home country is a foreign land. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not throw away their offspring. They share their food table, but not their marriage bed. They happen to be in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They spend time on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the laws that have been laid down, yet in their personal lives they surmount the law. They love everyone, but are persecuted by everyone. They are unknown, but get condemned. They are killed, yet they live. They are poor, but make many rich. They are needy in everything, yet in everything they have a surplus. They are dishonored, yet in their dishonor they receive honor. They are slandered, but they are justified. They are cursed, but they bless. They are insulted, but they show respect. Though they do good, they get punished as evildoers. And though they are punished, they rejoice as though being brought to life. They are attacked as foreigners by Jews, and they are persecuted by Greeks. Yet those who hate them have no cause for their antagonism. And Kenneth wraps up with this. Though Christians belong to various ethnicities and nationalities, this early Christian author insists that we are not distinguished by our customs. Though each of us participates as citizens in our respective nations, we Christians should view ourselves as foreigners in a foreign land. This is the third way of early Christianity. Christians should not raise their various nationalities above their new lives in Christ, nor should they reject whatever nation into which God has placed them. Followers of Jesus should recognize first and foremost, above every other commitment, that they are to be distinguished as Christians. So having heard that, let us wrap up this whole series right back where we started in 1 Peter chapter 2. In the NASB, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special or peculiar people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises or excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're ministers for the kingdom of God. You're a holy nation, a special people, God's own possession. Is this amping anybody up? This is you. This is your destiny. This is your heritage. This is your nationality, so to speak. We're going to sing the praises of God of him who has called us. He's chosen us and called us and is sending us 
to be a certain way on this earth, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Look, we weren't a people at one point in history, but now we are the people of God. We have been grafted in as non-Jewish heritage people. Those of us of non-Jewish descent have been grafted in to this holy family of God and thank God. But the Bible also says, look, don't mess around. You can be grafted out as easily as you were grafted in. So don't mess around with this thing. Live in faith according to the word of God. Amen. So let me ask you this. Have you become a part of the family of God yet? If you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus, let's take care of that right now. Get into the family of God. We want to give you this opportunity. And so if you're ready, bow your head, eliminate all distractions, and let's pray this together. Pray these words after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for any wrong I've ever done. I choose to learn about and live for Jesus. Today I choose to follow you. I believe you raised Jesus from death to life. I ask you to raise me to new spiritual life. And I thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. And now for all of us together, if you've just joined or if you've been in for decades, let's pray this. Having heard what we've heard today and through the entire series, The Spiritual House, let's pray this together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing me to the rock. Thank you for my church family. Teach me the truth of your blessings as I contribute to and enjoy my spiritual family. Show me what I can give and help me to give it away freely to my family here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And congratulations to all of you who prayed any of that. I'm so delighted that you are in the family of God and investing yourself in being living stones built up to comprise this spiritual house so that we're not just a bunch of uh, materials laying out on a driveway somewhere. No, we're being built into this house, man. It's coming together. Amen. Amen.